Well, welcome back to Open to Truth, a podcast all about exploring big ideas and discovering truth together. My name's Clint. Hey, welcome back. I'm Tony. Uh, just a bit of housekeeping at the mm. beginning. Uh, thank you, listeners, oh. for just sticking with us. Yeah, thanks. For sending in your questions and contributing to the mailbag and everything. If you do have some things you've been thinking about, whether uh, on a faith journey, deconstruction, uh, how current events are impacting your worldview and mm-hmm. some philosophical ideas about it, write in to the show at mailbag at open to truth. Uh, we read all of those. Uh, we'd really love to hear from you and incorporate it into a next mailbag episode. We want to address what you are thinking about. That's my favorite. Yeah, I always love it when you guys write into the show and we get to do a mailbag episode. It's useful for us just to get a feel of like who you are and what kinds of questions and issues you're dealing with and um, what kind of journey you're on. And that helps us shape the kind of content mm-hmm. and conversations we're having here as well. Maybe I'll kind of break the news now. I don't know if you and I even totally agreed on it, but I think you're down. I think I know what you're going to say. But I we've wonder. been we've been toying with the idea of like getting the community together via an online platform that we can like say. talk with each other. Mm. Um, I don't know how many of you know about Discord. You probably would better explain what it is. Yeah, well, Discord. If you're a gamer or you're at all involved in gaming, you probably know about Discord. But it's like a um, it's a an application on your phone and on the web and on your computer that's. Uh, it's a communication platform. So you can create a server, have voice chat, video chat, text chat, different channels for different topics, that sort of thing. And I've just sort of been seeing over the last few months it evolving into being more than just a way that gamers communicate. But it's like there's all kinds of little communities that are popping up mm-hmm. on Discord. There's like talent shows and finance clubs and like you name it, there's a yeah. Discord community for it. So um, I think it'd be as simple as like if you... We're on the blog mailing list. Like if you've ever written into the show, we could send you an invite mm-hmm. to the Discord community and you'd have a little, it could be anonymous, a little username, mm-hmm. little avatar picture thing. You can have a long avatar, a long username if you want. It doesn't have yeah. to be little. Sure. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and you can chat with other listeners to the show. So we could have different subcategories of like, I'm interested in theology or philosophy. Yeah, yeah latest up and we could go, we could go live in there sometimes right wouldn't yeah. that be cool we could have actual like amas or like live conversations so none of that the no, technology exists none of that <laughs> is actually real yet we're it's, just thinking about it we've planted only, the seed if that interests you go you can just go right now huh oh interesting that's all uh, we're looking for here yeah yeah okay. <laughs> um if you really really like the idea let, let us, us know. know that'd yeah. be helpful mm-hmm. um but yeah, it's something that we're kicking around. We just want, we want to find ways. We say every episode, to like join touch, the conversation. Yeah, touch base. We want it to be more of a conversation, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that we'd get like trolled and we'd need to moderate it. I don't know about somehow. the modding and so I don't want smut yeah. to be. <laughs> well, I'm yeah, I'm sure there'd be all okay. kinds of trolls. We'll, we'll have to figure that out. But yeah. something we're cooking up, maybe. Well, today I'd like to talk about a question that I was asked recently. Mm-hmm. And that is this. Does God have any moral obligations? Mm-hmm. Does God have any moral duties? Anything he ought to do. Yeah. Which, I don't know. I, just mm-hmm. think with me here, listener and Tony. Um, I don't know what... what I, I don't know if I could make the sociological, statistical claim about what people would typically think. Like, do you think most people would think yes or no right away without tipping our hands? Or maybe we don't have a I feel like most people would... Most people? It depends on who the people are. Like uh, like most fundamentalist evangelicals? Sure. Yeah. Do, do you would, have a su- would, suspicion on what it would be? Does God have moral obligations? Um, I I think most would say no. But I don't know. That, that it's his prerogative. He's the king of kings. Lord of, He can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. That's sort of... Mm-hmm. I think most people in the discussion, including me, mm. would say that if God exists and acts at all in the world, that he always does what is right. You know, yeah. Or else would fail to ne- then be God. Mm-hmm. You know, if God is all good, then... Doesn't yeah. that mean morally perfect? So whatever God does, 
is morally perfect, that's not really what's on. I'm not suggesting that we should entertain that God actually does evil. Yeah. But rather, must he? Or, yeah, is that sensible? Yeah. Yeah, that's sensible. I'm realizing, too, that maybe my intuition's wrong there because... uh, Or you might say God's not beholden to any moral standard, whatever... In so far as being, in some way, definitive of the standard, mm-hmm. whatever God does, by definition, just is the right thing, and so we can still maintain that God always is morally perfect. It's just, yeah. but it's more definitional than it is. God is on the same. He's not playing the same baseball game we are with morality. Right. I am not the de- definition of morality. So how I act. Uh, is measuring up to some standard of right and wrong, and I can either fail to be in line with it or not. Yep. The divine, however, we can wonder about whether the same can be said. Yeah, or is the divine that God just is the plumb line and his behavior Mm -hmm. is what constitutes the good and then everything else is measured against it. Maybe it's too general. Maybe a more specific thing would help. Uh, does does God owe us anything? Well, this is where I was going to say, I think when rubber meets the road, for many of us, we do have the intuition that God ought to do stuff. Like my child is sick and suffering and the reason evil seems to be a problem is because we have this sense of God, you should do something about this or there's some injustice occurring. You have the power to fix it. You ought to step in and save my kid. Or this ought, tragedy ought not to have happened. And there it does seem like we're sort of projecting on God some moral duty that he has been negligent in. You think? Do you think... I mean, it's impossible to say. We're not equipped yeah. with the polling data. Yeah. I don't know if most people think that or like evangelicals, Christians... I think they think it's a good th- it would it would be a good thing if their family member was healed but I think a lot of times prayers are more couched in this uncertainty like your will be if, done if it's if it's your will we'd love for you to heal the family member but you do whatever you want to do mm-hmm. yeah fair enough fair enough so this has been what classically formulated we're dancing around the euthyphro dilemma here this is what yeah it's- so Oh man, I should have looked this up. The I'm, emb- I'm embarrassed that I can't remember where specifically it's found. It's oh. in one of Plato's dialogues. I got you. Mm, I think it's. Oh, I want to. No, I don't even want to pretend. Come on, mate. Take a guess. Allow the YouTube comments to correct you. It's about what is piety. Okay. But I forget who the character is that asked that. All right. Anyway. Either way. And in that discussion, one of the characters, I think it might have been Socrates. Uh, in the dialogue, says, do, I'm paraphrasing for more understandable language, Sure. do the gods command things because they are good or are things good because the gods command them? Mm. Sorry, I said plural because Socrates is thinking of the Greek pantheon. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, does God, uh, singular, monotheism, Christianity, does God command things because those things are good mm-hmm. or are they good in virtue of God having commanded them? Yeah. That's another That's way makes of them good. describing the uh, tension I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And it's something it's having to do with maybe um, like the logical priority of God and morality. How are God and morality related? Yeah. So I guess the question would be like, or maybe what's at stake here or what's up for debate. Is there something that God is required to submit to? Lady justice or lady virtue, whatever that happens to be. Some sort of platonic ideal of the good that God is beholden to. Or, and this is the defense that I've heard Bill Craig and guys like him give many times to wriggle out of the Euthyphro dilemma, is is this just that God, God's nature... Just real... Okay, sorry. Go ahead. No. I don't have to. Um, why? Why did you use the word dilemma? Like what? What? Um, Isn't that what it's called? The Euthyphro dilemma. It is, but what makes it a that that makes it sound like if you take either position, it's not good. That's what a dilemma is. Yeah. Right. So what? Um, what? What would be like the initial before we get to the, like the 
Craig's solution. Mm. Why is this a problem? So let's look at each one. Yep. Uh, God commands things because they're good. And you said, does that mean he's beholden to lady justice or something? Mm-hmm. And that, that doesn't sound right for someone, for this God figure who's like... Supreme authority. Well, yeah, <laughs> ultimate reality. Yeah. Because if that if ultimate reality is beholden to something else, isn't that thing more ultimate, prior yeah. What's, in some way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's is that the issue? I think that is. I think that's the issue. Okay. Like, um, it would need. Is there anything that is uncreated besides God? You know, that's sort mm. of what's is at, that divine aseity at, at stake. Yeah, right. It's like the property of God of being uncreated. Of, of um. Of being like the only oh, uniqueness. Yeah. Yeah. I think something like that. And then, or are they good because God commands them is but the other see, horn of the dilemma. Something about that feels arbitrary though. Yeah. That right? just because a mind willed it, that, that means that it's automatically good. It yeah. seems like then things that we typically would think are immoral, rape, yep, killing of the innocent, if God commanded it, then that those things actually would be good. Which is sometimes offered as a defense of, you know, parts in Scripture where uh, genocide might be commanded by God or at least described mm. that way. I've but heard well, that defense. Yeah, yes. God commanded it. In this case, it actually is good, you know. Because he commanded it. Because he commanded it, yeah. So those, if those are the two options, that's the Euthyphro dilemma and, um, in fact, now I feel a little bit like, a dingus, because that is the person, the interlocutor of in the story. Euthyphro? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was his name again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Blasted. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> foolish, foolish brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So both, uh, you have to pick one, apparently. Mm-hmm. We can wonder about that, but it seems like it. Yeah. And both seem bad. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Well, and then this this is where Craig would say, no, you don't have to pick one. Ah, There's a third horn okay. in this dilemma, which is, and I might butcher it, mm-hmm. so help me if I do, but I think the notion is um, God's character just is goodness or something, or like what goodness is defined by God's, the, the contours of God's moral character, like who he is, that is just what we mean by the word good. So, like we said before, his the di- the divine character becomes the plumb line against which all other actions are measured. How godlike is it? In the same way that, like a high fidelity recording is one that sounds most like the actual instrument when it was played. You know, that's a high fidelity recording versus some old record that is not as clear. Similar thing going on in the moral realm. How closely does your character approximate God's character? And to that degree, you're approaching the good. You know? Okay. And tell me how that avoids the Euthyphro dilemma. Just trying to follow you. Because um, I... God doesn't command things because they are good, and things aren't good because God commands them. So neither of those. God commands things because he is good. I think that's what Craig would say. Okay. I don't know if that's just sneaky. All right. (laughs) I see you're not loving it. No, no, no. It's just I find it hard. This is where like just I am not smart enough. I Mm -hmm. get it's a bit abstract. I get confused quickly. So I feel like this topic and some other ones like this with the divine and ultimate reality. It's like you know holding on to a balloon, an inflated balloon. Mm with that little string, that little crap plastic string. And if you're not, if you haven't wrapped it around your finger or anything, you're just holding the string. Yeah. You got to like really, really clench. Sometimes I really have to think about like, don't open your hand or else it'll fly away. Instantly. Yeah. And you have to keep a pretty firm purchase or else it'll just kind of sneak out and it's gone. That's how I feel like like with the discussion. Yeah. Okay. If I don't really like try to hold it before, it'll just float away and then I just sit here (laughs) not understanding. Yeah. Let me try to grasp the balloon handle and say this. I don't know if that solves the problem. I've heard that as well, mm-hmm. kicking it to moral to God's character. But can we just rephrase the dilemma? Is it like, I don't know, is 
is God's character good because it adheres to an independent standard mm-hmm. or is the standard good because it's just God's character? It just kicks the can. That's what you're it saying. seems like it. And yeah. that was a clunky way of phrasing it, but I've you just substitute in God's character instead of God's commands. Yeah. And I'm wondering, yeah, I, is am I just as much in trouble? Yeah. Some of this has to do with, too, how you're using the word God and your conception there, right? Like, I think maybe what's helpful in this discussion is the idea of God as, like, a title and less a name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, I was assuming that, but yeah. Yeah, I know you are, but many right. of our listeners may not sure. be assuming that that framework. Can you just, you want to just tease out for people Yeah, uh, that way of thinking about Thinking things? of God less as a personal name, which is fine. I do that. Also, but sometimes in these philosophical discussions, it can be helpful to think of it as a title that a being, an entity has in virtue of having moral perfection, let's say, as one of the traits or worship worthiness, deserving of adoration um, or utmost adoration. Yep. And so you could, you could like lose that title, just like you could lose the NBA champion title each yep. year if you don't keep winning the championship yeah if god if the being ever failed to be morally perfect then we would no longer call that thing god revoke the title yeah 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 that's i, I know that's a little that's a kind of strange different way of thinking again i'm not saying it's wrong to like refer to the being as god in worship or something and right to use it as a name yeah um but yeah, but you're saying that's helpful here because I'm wondering if it's helpful here, because because on the one hand, um, if I think, okay, if I I might be more tempted to say things are good because God commands them, if uh, my conception of God is uh, completely bound up in like stories from scripture and and there's there's all these things that have been attributed to this one particular being and mm-hmm. if i'm committed to that that this one being has done all those things and his name is god then i kind of need to say well he commanded it must be good because he commanded it or something and he is good um hmm. i don't know if that's maybe there's a separate maybe it's not god's title that is helping me out of that problem maybe it's actually how i'm understanding scripture yeah, yeah. Hmm. But there was, I guess, like for many years, God in my mind, God was a being who I had attributed a whole history to of his actions and all that he had done and whatnot. And at some point, I was um, it confronted with the idea that, uh, kind of like the God as rescuer thing, that that that's a mo- a particular model of God that I have built. But it's not the only model of God that exists, mm-hmm. and it's not the only search for a rescuer that might be worth pursuing. And instead, it actually might be a useful exercise to start with a conception of God as a title and then look for like what would be the minimum necessary qualifications for some being to be considered God and then go looking for evidence that maybe that being exists. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that's too far afield. No, I think. But. I think it's somewhat. Let's. Let me try to. I think it's relevant. Let me try to make the connection. Mm. Uh, so what I think what we're talking about here and why the title of God thing might help is the. This is an annoying philosophy word. The modality yep. of God's morality and. The modality of morality. Mm-hmm. Okay. The the modal okay, the modal properties have to do with whether things are necessarily true, like they absolutely have to be true, or whether they're contingently true, mm. which just means they they happen to be true. Yeah. And that's different. Things that have to be true versus that just are true. Yeah. And so it's um, I think a good example would be uh, two plus two equals four is necessarily true. Uh, in virtue of the terms, the definitions being used. Uh, contingently true is this shirt, me wearing a blue shirt. Mm-hmm. Clint is wearing a blue shirt. is not necessarily true. I've worn different shirts, mm-hmm. as you may have seen 
in other episodes. Yeah. Is it, so let's bring that now to God's morality, his moral decision making or even his nature. Is God is God's moral perfection necessary or contingent? So this is where yep. this is where the title thing comes in handy. Mm-hmm. When we say um If you're going if you're going to refer to that being as God, the title, and the title just means that you're morally perfect, and you ask, does God have to be morally perfect, then yes. Yes. Necessarily so. But just by definition, because I've built that into the term what God, God yeah. that I've applied to that being. Yep. But the being itself, you might even use for some of the philosopher listeners, de re and de dicto, mm-hmm. referring to the thing or referring to the statement. Yep. The statement, God is morally perfect, is necessarily true. That's just, just what I mean by God. Yeah. But the being, the person that I am worshiping at my church and service. And who currently holds the title. And who happens to hold the title. This is where the, this is where it diverges. Yes. People would disagree with me, like a John Piper or a John MacArthur, or someone like that. Mm-hmm. I Clint is going to say that God is contingently morally good or morally perfect. Yeah, and that to use the metaphor earlier, he's playing the same baseball game that I am of morality. Of hey, you're that's that's what I take it to be to be made in God's image. Mm-hmm. Is that I'm a moral actor. I'm an agent that can choose the good or not. Mm-hmm. God also is that way. Now he happens to maintain his title by always choosing the good. He's Oh my gosh. Excellent player. What a being worthy of worship. Yeah. Yeah. But it's contingent. It's not necessarily true. And I think a reason, I don't just say that, a reason for thinking it is I think it preserves God's freedom of the will. Mm-hmm. That he's genuinely free to choose between the good and the ill. Yep. And just happens to always do it. And that's what generates his moral perfection or yeah. um, his worship worthiness. Yep. This now, is, sorry, go. Yeah, go. Sorry. Um, my worry with Craig's response to the Euthyphro dilemma to just kick it back to God's character is that, man, is that it makes God's morality out to be more necessary to say that God is the grounding of morality. Mm hmm. Makes it so that, like, in a in some sense, God can't help but be like, like he's bound by his own character because, by definition, is the ground of moral perfection and cannot act out of accordance with his nature. Let's say, mm-hmm. you see, sorry, yeah. the balloon might be slipping away, but let's That's try. Okay. Um, yeah. And so, if you would all agree with what I had just said a moment ago about preserving God's freedom of the will, and that. For him to be genuinely worship worthy, he has to have a choice in whether to do the good or the bad. But if you make God's moral perfection necessary, it the eliminates being, the choice. It eliminates the choice. And thus eliminates and whatever praise might be. It's not due. that cool that you are morally yeah. perfect. Yeah. Because yeah. you had to be. You happen to be. Because yeah, you are the you standard bearer. Right. Right. Now, I could see someone just kicking it the exact opposite direction. Like, actually, it's what's. It's really marvelous. Well, imagine being the standard of morality. Wow, what Only a thing. Only do what's right. I'll praise that. And I can imagine some pushback to the other view being it does... Um, oh, to say that God like could act in an immoral way mm-hmm. and just doesn't. Um, I don't know. It makes him seem just a little more dangerous. You know, like like mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis says, he's not a tame lion. It just makes me think of that. Of like, that's man, a great, I'm, I'm dude. That's a great example. Let's favorite. think of it as Aslan. I yeah. mean, um, I get all the sense of the world from the films and the and the books that it's a it's an entity with all the complexity that the other characters have, but just oh, it's just virtuous. And can we say that maybe the same thing about Jesus and what we see there? Like, it certainly seems to me like Jesus lived. At a minimum, he lived a human life. Like yeah. he was a man, and so he had choices to make, uh, temptations to face. So I heard in seminary that like the hypostatic union, the two natures coming together, yeah. that God could sin but just doesn't in his human nature. 
but he could not sin in his divine nature. And this was me all through seminary raising my uh, hand. I see a problem. And I was just no, not entertained. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So now I've just made my own podcast and I can <laughs> say whatever you want. About my views. No. Uh, I just don't see, I just never saw the need to like make that hard line assumption about the divine. Like God can't do ill. And I, I don't. Well, un- c- certainly if we're going to say, as I think. Again, the title. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Sorry. I got you. <laughs> if we're going to say, as I think Christianity does, that that Jesus uh, was representative of the was truly human and and representative his life was representative of a truly human life, um, then I've always felt like if if Jesus is going to be a savior that can relate to me at all, then he needs to be a savior who was genuinely tempted at some point, or like, or at least genuinely faced the possibility of wrongdoing and and opted not to because that is a big part of what it means to be here it's a big part of my experience mm-hmm. a daily part of my experience is how am i going to act will i do what's right and did not? so in virtue of being god perhaps because again my my professors would would have said yeah oh that's true in his humanity he could have sinned but didn't but in his divinity yeah then he, he couldn't have but what I know. What though? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> it does seem like a contradiction. Um, now here's, I'll bring it back to the Euthyphro dilemma. Here's what, here's the problem with my response just then mm. is you might say, well, Clint, to be a theist, like you believe in God, don't you think God has anything to do with morality? Mm. Like the Euthyphro dilemma was, you know, thought up or designed to put pressure on both of these different ways of thinking about how God relates to morality, maybe yeah. maybe the ultimate pressure is just nonsensical, so God doesn't exist or something, or yeah, or maybe there's a different source of morality. But most theists are pretty interested in like God has something to do with why things are right and wrong. Yep. Or well, something- where else did it come from? That's that thing of like, is it is morality co-eternal with God or uncreated mm-hmm. in some way, like now, in the Platonic realm? Yep. Okay. Well, let's go there then. Yeah. Abstract so, objects. And- yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So table the morality thing for a moment. Are there any other, well, let's back to the essay, are there other uncreated objects? Mathematics. Numbers. Two. The number two. Yeah. What is that? It's an idea. It's not, it doesn't exist uh, solely in any one person's mind. Would it exist independent of any minds? It's not clear to me that it would. Mm -hmm. It seems like the kind of thing that can only exist as content inside a mind. This idea of two-ness. Why? Say more. Um, I don't know if I can say anymore. I might have like literally just reached the limits of what I have to say about yeah. it. It just seems to me like the kind of thing that two is, it it has okay. a mental texture to it. Let me try with um, some pieces of logic. Mm. So this is a contentious example, but we don't have to get into why. But uh, The ball cannot be red all over and green all over at the same time. It's a necessary truth. Yeah. So it said, uh, what makes that true and where is that truth? Like, would you say that's part of our world in some way, that truth? There's in some, some way, yes. In some way. Yes. Yes. And so there's something about it that exists um, that our world is participating in that truth in virtue of having never, ever violated it. It's necessarily mm-hmm. true. Um, or how about the law of non-contradiction? Something cannot be both P and not P or X and not X at the same time. Sure. Any of these like laws of logic, are they something that God came up with one day or have they just always been existed in the mind of God or something? That's what Craig would say, right? Abstract he, objects are grounded as ideas in the mind of God. Right, and they're not universals, I think. Yeah. Okay. But we let's I don't know. I just think 
when you do that, you fall prey to the Euthyphro dilemma, and I don't want to. Right. Okay. But so you're okay with what, saying that there is a. I so I end up just taking. I just grab onto the first horn of the dilemma. God commands things because they're good, and the good exists independently of God, as wow. do numbers, as do laws of logic, and God is beholden to them in virtue of the kinds of things that they are. There's this abstract set of truths. So in what sense is God ultimate reality? Or oh, you hate that word even, don't you? Uh, that's not my preferred conception because of God. But on I've, that view, it seems like maybe mathematics is ultimate reality in terms of what's, what's logically prior to everything else. What's it all built off of? And if, if yeah, if numbers I don't think those, any of those things obtain or are true in virtue of the mind of God. I don't see why that's the case. Mm-hmm. I think they're true by virtue of what they are, like what they say, the content. Mm. And we've put English language to it. You could put Chinese language to it. The proposition, that is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not the sentence. The idea just exists in an abstract way forever, eternally. It is abstract. And it doesn't owe itself to any mind. In fact, it's something all minds bow to in a way. Discover? Maybe not, but we happen to. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a problem for their being, an eternally existing being. I think they're co-eternal in a way. Now we're getting. Whenever I say eternal, sometimes I just yep. go through a, <laughs> like someone who just took LSD or yeah, something. <laughs> um, like, where are we? What's what's going on? Yeah. Now I'm full. I'm fully aware that that something about that would be heretical in some circles, or like I'm not orthodox. Yeah. Well, I remember having a big argument with a bloke about this kind of thing like ten years ago. Yeah. And being, I would have, dude. I would have been furious with you for saying that. <laughs> I just think when I when I really ponder the question of truth makers, what makes something true? Yeah. I just don't see why the law of non-contradiction or the ball read all over example and then even the moral ones are true because of a mind mm-hmm. birthing them. They don't owe their existence to that. They're true regardless of whether it was birthed. It just doesn't, I don't really. <laughs> to me, it, creating the law of non-contradiction, it owes its existence to something? No, to me, to me, it seems more like it, like logic just is the language of the mind or something. Or mathematics and mind are kind of two sides of this. They just go together. Like they are wow. symbiotic in some way. Like. Again, just that independent, <laughs> <laughs> independent of of um, minds. I don't think it would make sense to talk about twoness, or I can't. I can't think of a like. We can say there's an abstract realm where they exist. Okay, but actually, though, it's only ever in minds that twoness exists, right? Mm, I don't know. You said a moment ago it's a, it's a proposition, not the sentence, but the the idea, the, what's contained in it. The content. Yeah. The content. I don't know if I agree with that. Okay. I think it might just be, yeah, you said the term Plato's heaven. Yeah. I kind of enjoy that. Yeah. Truth, beauty, and goodness, the forms. Yeah. And they, Maybe. But I don't, but I don't, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I enjoy thinking of them as like actually existing in the same Uh-oh. way okay yeah careful though i do want to be careful nope take that back i don't know <laughs> it's just hard to think about what abstract objects are it really is but i can't shake i can't shake the nagging feeling that they don't owe their existence to god it doesn't seem like they're that seems like a non-sequitur or they're not well especially appropriately related can i maybe this is part of it is we touched on it earlier but these days, your conception of God, with this God as title and God as rescuer, does not include in it that he has to be ultimate reality, right? Uh, no, it doesn't. But what do you? What does that mean? What does ultimate reality mean? 
I think it does mean that, and I'm going to struggle to yeah. say it, but that's sort of the uncaused cause, the the first thing, the big picture, what's really going on, the bedrock that it's all built on. Uh, all else owes its existence to it. Yes. Or Or maybe even, yeah, if you could zoom out far enough and get a big enough perspective... I would be referencing the all, the what is that, you know, in some way. Like when I think about, we've talked about this before, when I think about existentially what I want to know, I want to know the big picture. I want to know what's what the heck is going on here, you know? And and that is kind of, I think, the search for ultimate reality, if those words mean anything. What's ultimately real? And you're suggesting perhaps it is these abstract uh, uh, objects that are ultimately real. Maybe, oh, wow. Maybe the longer I think about it, it collapses back into the Craigian view. Let me just think. Uh, I can see the balloon drifting away. It is. Grip it tightly. <laughs> so, I, okay, let me just speak freely. I, I want, I, I think I wanted to say that all the the abstract objects and God co exist co eternal or like yep eternally coexist mm-hmm. mutual arising. Now I know we want there to be a temporal begetter, mm-hmm. but we're not. We don't have that in this case. And and yeah, for saying that God is ultimate reality, then has always existed, and so have all of these things. Mm-hmm. And they don't owe their existence to God in a way. Like it just. It still strikes me that maybe I'm just missing something. I'd love for someone to correct me, but for God to have created the law of non-contradiction, it's almost like the operating software by which anything can ever be said of anything. Mm -hmm. The law of contradiction is in play. So as I try to understand it, and frankly, like I even when I think about like I I I feel like I need to fight against even like metaphorical and different pictures I have of God as like a, a guy with yeah. a, a beard and stuff as always existing. Right. But when I really, oh boy, when I think of God in the best way I can as a spirit, um, a personal spirit that's always existed as itself non-physical as are these abstract objects. It's a mind. And maybe, maybe these abstract objects are pieces of furniture in the mind of God. Yeah. Instead of being outside of God. Yeah. God's a little abstract himself. Uh, exactly. You know. <laughs> and like to what extent are is everything I mean, I don't want to be dip into pantheism or panentheism. Yeah. So quickly here in my own But in what sense is it all in the mind of God or grounded in the mind mm-hmm. of God? Yeah. How about this? Uh, it is difficult to explain what's going on with God and abstract objects. I just, I currently, even, but if it's the mysteriousness of that, I don't feel like I need to, I don't feel like it's contradictory. I don't think I'm yeah. hung on any particular problem. Like, I, I don't see why they owe their, existence like the truth of the law of non-contradiction doesn't seem dependent on god existing it seems like something else is going on yep and i think that is a helpful way out of the euthyphro dilemma so those are two reasons to think it yep and until there's some obvious reason or problem there yeah obvious reason not to yeah I think the pushback would be something like, well, if you're going to say they co-eternally exist, then aren't those things just God themselves in some way? Right. But I'm not saying that because I have a other. I have a concept of God whereby God is a a personal agent, able to act in the world and is has freedom, in a way that the law of non-contradiction does not. It is not God. Yeah, pointing to the law of non-contradiction. Well, I was I was going to say things like goodness. I could imagine grounded in his character from 
like you're saying, he's an agent, free agent. And maybe these things are parts of God. Maybe goodness is a part of God, Mm -hmm. you know. But you're right that with things like law of non-contradiction, that does just seem, yeah, eternal in some way. The mathematical axioms, the Pythagorean theorem. Yep. I mean... The 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 truth when when I did proofs for that in geometry I didn't list God in any of the steps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Step four: mind of God, origin. You know. <laughs> yeah. I can prove the truth of it without it. it just. I don't know, man. Mm. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm totally off base here and crazy, but I don't view. So what's the takeaway for the listener? Sorry, this is, is so... Is there some but. way that you as a religious inquirer or somebody who is pursuing the good, is there some way that you're... I've al- Well, here, I've always sort of thought about my pursuit of the good and my pursuit of God as being the same pursuit, mm-hmm. in fact. But maybe not in this view. Other than that, like, God is morally perfect. So, to emulate or have your character conform to his would be. But goodness is something that stands co-eternal with God, but is not God. I I tend toward that, I think. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I I have some more work to do to iron it out. I just start to bump bump up against an invisible wall of my own mental... It's real murky. Yeah, that territory starts to get murky for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would the takeaway for a listener be? Does God commit? What was the question here? Is God morally obligated to we do We kind anything? of got ourselves adrift. Um, in this world, then, yes. In my, in he my, is morally obligated. In my picture, God has moral obligations, just like we do. And he perfectly They're fulfills. not the same exact ones, maybe, but... Right. And he fulfills them. And he always does them. It's awesome. Way so, to go, God. <laughs> <laughs> you really got a good. Man, I wish gone. I could say more about it and like tie a, a neat bow. Am, do you feel like I've done a disservice to the views on hand or anything? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I, any time we in this podcast have started to tiptoe into the abstract realm, it gets tricky. Mm-hmm. The balloon flies away fairly yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah. But maybe so. You might even. So I didn't bring this up earlier, but someone might wonder, why are you lumping in like morality with numbers and logic? Yeah. Um, it's just trying to understand what morality is to begin with. Like what, what is the proposition killing innocent for monetary gain is wrong? So mm-hmm. there's that proposition. Uh, where is that? What, what kind of thing is morality? Yeah, it's not a concrete thing. No, I can't look around and find it. I could see instances of mm-hmm. someone doing some behavior that I could bring that category to bear and label it and judge accordingly. Yeah. But it's not something that you can just... I mean, some would say the more, what's called a moral naturalist yep. would say that, but I think there's some issues with it. I happen to think morality is like a non-natural thing. It's an abstract object, just like these other propositions that exist um, in this mm-hmm. way, and and there's there's many many of these items in other areas of philosophy, possible worlds. Yeah, it's it. So this is fascinating, dude. It's true. It, it's possible that you that Tony would wear a red shirt for this podcast. Mm-hmm. That's possible. Well, that's true in some way, right? So what does that mean? What makes that true? Well, there is this whole possible world that exists as an abstract object has all the features that this world does, except that Tony has a red shirt Mm -hmm. in its description of this whole totalizing world that itself, this whole P sub one of possible world is an abstract object. Mm -hmm. See, that's it's in an effort. The reason to have a stronger view of abstract objects that deserve attention in your metaphysics is because we want our sentences to be true. Yeah. You know, like we say true things and you have to think what makes it true. Mm -hmm. Well, on my view, it's because there's an abstract object that exists that makes it true Mm -hmm. and what to do now. So now 
that's how I've figured out how to make sense of our speech and language and how we communicate, what makes things true. And now what do I do with that thing? So this possible world, did God make it? Because some explanations of creation even employ possible yeah. world. Like God like he looked at them all. did a Rolodex. Yeah. He looked through all of Netflix of all the possible worlds and picked this one. Yeah. I mean, I've heard people explain creation that way. Did he create all the possible worlds too? Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's just... It's just way things could be. Mm-hmm. And they exist right along with God. They don't spring forth out of his mind or out of his being. They are kind of the... Um, the uh, the guardrails. I don't love that, but the limits of being. The, um, yeah, I know the what playground you mean. of being. Yeah. And I think that they are infinite. Mm-hmm. The possible worlds and the abstract objects are an infinite collection. There's infinite numbers. There's infinite. Uh, I'm kind of on the fence about color, but yep. qualia seems infinite to me in some ways. Um, moral principle, moral truths are infinite insofar as people are ongoing yep. eternal beings that yep. continue to behave morally. So. Uh, the bounds of being, it's God. I'm not limiting God. Yeah, it's the bounds are infinite, and being itself, God, resides in that infinite playground. Hmm. Maybe that's how I want to talk about it. Okay, is that? <laughs> I think, I think I got it. I was pretty abstract, but yeah. And there's nothing that, that see the thing about these is like there's nothing you can point to to prove the existence of abstract objects it's sort of a you have to reason your way there on first principles it's a postulate to understand the truth yeah like do do we want to give up uh it's false that it was possible that you wore a red shirt which is to say it's necessary that tony wore a white shirt yeah i had to wear the white that's a necessary truth didn't feel necessary so i almost did i'm really committed to being possible that you did otherwise yep and so, like, as in logically possible. Yeah. Which even our determinist friends should be okay with. Yeah, yeah. Not that, you know, the history of the world force you to wear a white shirt, maybe. <laughs> but at least logically, it's possible that you could right now be wearing a red shirt. Yeah. You, in fact, are not for our audio listeners. Yeah, He's no, wearing a white, white shirt. It is white. So I need that to be true. Well, what do I do? What, what makes it true? Well, it's because... You postulate... Yeah. This abstract object. It, it's uh, it's consistent with other ways that we say things are true, like that things obtain. Yeah. So that there are two red chairs in this room right now is true because there really are two red chairs in the room. <laughs> so what makes it possible they're wearing a red shirt? Well, there really is an abstract object of this possible world where you're wearing a red shirt. Yeah. Okay. So I'm using the same uh, obtaining method of determining truth so i need to think about the reality of abstract objects how does that now i'm a theist though also so how does that relate to god did they co-eternally exist with him are they did they did god create them Mm. um no doesn't seem like well given the fact that some of them god himself would still be sort of subject to Mm -hmm. right like like the law of non-contradiction or yes other things yeah I think so. So he couldn't yeah. have created them. And so I think a metaphor to help understand that is the abstract objects are the bounds of being. It's like the the playground, the arena in which being can take place. Mm-hmm. We cannot violate the law of non-contradiction without some on pain of something crazy like uh, yeah, irrationality, falsehood, or... Mm-hmm. Um, the logic of our universe falling apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the ground, the ultimate reality or God, the personal eternal existing agent exists in that space. And they all, it all existed eternally together. I don't, I don't think that that's violating any very dearly held Christian dogma of any of the main councils. Like, is that heretical? Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, certainly not like Council of Nicaea or anything, mm-hmm. the Nicene Creed. It's... And in that view, the sort of the bound of being 
couldn't have been other than it is because mm-hmm. it's all eternal. Right. That applies to all possible multiverses yeah. that might exist. The red, the ball cannot be red all over and green all over at the same time is a necessary truth that expands across all possible worlds. I see what you're saying. Okay. That's that's the best I can do for no, this. No, I, I brief appreciate time. it. I do appreciate it. That that's the most clear I think I've gotten on abstract objects okay. when I've tried to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Now I feel like I have some understanding. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I just do I learned I did not think that before Great. right now. So that was It's a me, learning podcast. That that's was what me I'm freshly saying. articulating. <laughs> so yeah, I think that gets you out of the youth for a dilemma. You can safely then say God commands things because they're good. Mm-hmm. And no problem. The, yeah, what's good is eternally necessarily true. And same with what's evil, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, these just have existed as potentials or... They're abstract objects. The, propos- mm-hmm. the moral truths, moral facts are propositions that exist eternally as abstract objects. It's like the... That's it, guys. There it is. That's it. We don't need to say anymore. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay. Well, that's enough for yeah. now. No, that's good. I think the balloon is about to leave my I head, think it, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I'm not even going to ask if you have questions because I'm sure you do. But, um, yeah, if you happen to be a pretty savvy listener and you know a little bit more like more than I do about divine aseity and some of this stuff. I'd love to hear if you've heard any like really good objections to what I just said and if I'm really crossing some line for yeah. orthodoxy. I mean, I try not to tread over it if I don't have to. I think this is I think this is something most Christians could get on board with and mm-hmm. I don't think it's really violating what do you have to give up really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, great. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube, you can, of course, leave comments. Uh, if you want to write into the show, mailbag at openatruth.com is our email address. We'd love to hear from you and do another mailbag episode soon. So thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Stay curious. <laughs>